Welcome to Victory Church Winchester, Virginia's weekly podcast. Our desire is that you will find Victory a place to call home. Please take a moment to subscribe and share. Here is this week's message from our Sunday morning worship experience. Well, this morning, aren't you glad for the Word? The Word of God cleanses us, so we need to be continually bathing in the Word of God. And I found a very easy scripture for you to find this morning. If you've got a fancy Bible, you can turn to the maps in the back of your Bible, work through the index and the glossary, and go to the last page of the scripture, Revelations chapter 22. I've got the red letter edition, and I'm going to be speaking mostly those red letters, which are words that Jesus spoke. Chapter 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they go through the gates in the city. Outside of the the gates are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star, written in black. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the tree, the free gift of water of life. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And back in the black. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. This incredible last chapter of the book of Revelation and the last chapter of our Bible is, ends with this wonderful promise of Jesus saying, I am coming. I am coming. And the, and the Spirit of God and the bride, the church, their response is, come. Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I was 19 years old when I found out, well, I I knew that Jesus had come to earth once, but I had no clue at the age of 19 that he was going to return to earth until I started hearing about it on campus. I've been waiting 47 years for Jesus to return, but he's been holding off for 2,000. We don't want to make company with the last day scoffers of 2 Peter chapter 3 who say, Where is the coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as as it has since the beginning of creation. Today could be the day that he returns. My title this morning is Heading to the Wedding. If you're as old as I am, maybe a little younger, you remember the song where going to the chapel and we're going to get married going to the chapel of love we are heading to a wedding 
Just this summer alone, in the last two months, uh, my wife and I have been privileged to go to four weddings. Two of those I've officiated. Now, the wedding theme is throughout all of Scripture, and we oftentimes miss it because we're not familiar with what I call the Jewish wedding protocol. And a protocol is the official manner or way in which something is to be done. Western weddings are very different than Jewish weddings, Middle Eastern weddings. One of the passages in the Bible, and there are so many, I'm just going to mention one. Jesus was questioned as to why he and his disciples were not fasting like everybody else. And on that day, um, in Matthew 9, he, he responded and he said, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. His guests, the disciples... He himself, the bridegroom? Well, when he ascended, he disappeared. Guess what? Today is the day of fasting. But it wasn't in that day. Now, instead of focusing on one small scripture and trying to get as much out of it as possibly can, as Joshua did so well last year on the supremacy of Christ, and the week before, PL did it on overcoming our fears. Any dumpster diving, guys? You better not be dumpster diving. I want us to step back and take a look at the whole panorama of the redemption story over time, if we can. You know, my wife and I had the privilege of um, camping overnight, uh, two, two days uh, over in Maryland. And we spent our days on the CNO towpath that follows the canal that is parallel to the Potomac. And we did 26 miles. 52 in all, forward and backwards. And it was nice at the end of the day to go back and look at that map and say, we went from here to here, from here to here. 26 miles. But if you look at the whole map, if we stood back, there's 184 and a half miles from Cumberland to Washington, D.C. It is good to just step back. Have you ever intensely worked on something and then you step back and you go, oh my goodness, I didn't see that. I want to encourage you in the day-to-day, what can be the day-to-day grind of Christianity, right? Christianity is so daily. I want to encourage you with that greater view this morning um, to see the the beginning from the end. And I'm going to share on two controversial topics, ecclesiology and eschatology. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. Not everybody agrees on how churches should be administrated, and all churches use the same Bible, but we disagree on doctrine. Eschatology is the study of end times. The church does not agree on how it's all going to get, how it's going to play out. But I want to encourage you with these words from a theologian called Rupertus Melindius, Meldinius, late 1500s, early 1600s. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Jesus Christ is Lord and you must be born again. Essential. Should I wear a suit coat or should I wear a black top and look like Pastor Keith this morning? Non-essential. In everything, folks, we ought to be loving one another. Because we'll fail on the other essential and non-essentials if we're not doing charity. Um, Your part this morning 
is to be like, to be more noble than the Thessalonians and be like the Bereans who eagerly accepted the message, but then went home and day by day examined the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. Let's pray. How awesome are you, O God, and your ways for us who believe. Though you are King and Lord, you call us friends, and you reveal to us things that only you know, even how things will end. And Father, my prayer is that we as the Bride of Christ would keep the bigger picture in view even as we work out our salvation day by day in fear and trembling. So Lord, your thoughts and your ways are so much further than ours. And we just accept the fact that you've got a redemption story that will be forever told and that we can be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, God never misses out an opportunity to illustrate so that we can understand. Parables were about that. Types in the Bible are about that. And this is really kind of an illustration for you. I'm going to give our cameramen a little run for their money. And uh, if, for those of you history-making, uh, note-taking people, especially if you're old school and you actually have lined paper with a margin, uh, to the left of your margin, I want you to put, I am. That's because he always was. And next to that margin, you can put that globe. Now, you can tell it's kind of deflating, isn't it? I've, I've already inflated it twice. Uh, but it's an old world, and it's dying. Like the song says, you can have this old world. Give me Jesus. <laughs> so along this timeline, uh, I'm going I'm to put a cross right here. This is where the new covenant was made. And in between that globe and this cross, if you're a young earth person, along with many, many scientists that believe so. You can put 6,000 years. If you're not, then just put a big question mark and go argue it out with Ken Ham. If you don't know who Ken Ham, look him up. Next to the um, cross, you can put a Holy Spirit. And I know he's kind of a funny-looking Holy Spirit, but use your imagination. And tuck him in real close because there's only 50 days between that covenant and the day of Pentecost. And God fulfilled his promise to Peter, who was a fisher of fish, that he would become a fisher of men, because on that day he preached. And what do you say? A catch of 3,000 people isn't too bad, is it? Now, from that point on, the church began, and this is called the church age. And we are in the middle of the church age. We don't know when the church age is going to end. You can put 2,000 years in counting. And again, it may not be to scale. But that church age is going to end right there. The Bible says we're approaching the last days. Timothy told us in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. They'll be rebellious. They'll be hateful. They will be disobedient to parent. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny the very power thereof. There'll be great deceptions. There'll be false prophets. There's going to be earthquakes and fam. I could go on and on. Between that up arrow and this down arrow is seven years. Now, what's the up arrow? The up arrow is the rapture. That's where the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are still alive will be caught up with them and meet them in the air to be forever with the Lord. 
Between here and this down arrow is seven years. The Old Testament calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. You could split it in half. The first half would be called the tribulation. The second half would be called the great tribulation. This part is bad. This part is really, really bad. The middle point is marked by what is called the abomination of desolation where the Antichrist sets himself up as God in the middle of the temple. I'm only going through a very small amount of stuff. What's the down arrow? The down arrow is where Christ comes back to earth with his angels and with his saints to do battle at the Battle of Armageddon. From that point on, Satan is locked up. For a thousand years, he's locked up and he's released at the end of the thousand years. And it's hard to believe that people under the, the, the rulership of Jesus Christ for a thousand years would ever rebel, having had law and order. That's where the lion and the lamb are going to sit down together instead of the, the lion eating the lamb and the child will lead them both. I mean, this thousand-year reign is going to be incredible. Satan is going to be re-released. A rebellion will take place. And then the great white throne judgment. Now, I should have painted it white, I know, but that's a throne in case you were wondering. The great white throne judgment is where unbelievers, people who have not accepted Christ, will be judged. You know, we were twice born. I was born physically back in 56, born again, born spiritually in 72, I believe. No, 76, I think. Yeah, 76. I've been twice born. People that would be judged will be twice dead. They will have already physically died, but they will spiritually die. They will be without God, which is a pretty incredible thing. Beyond that, all right, is the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down. And again, a lot of controversy over this. Not everybody agrees. Now you're saying, you've kind of taken me for a loop. You've talked about a wedding, and now you're talking about a timeline. What I want to do is superimpose the Jewish wedding protocol over this timeline, if you'll permit me. If you want to know more information about this timeline, I'd highly recommend the Full Life Study Bible. The Full Life Study Bible is a Bible that was created by Donald and Linda Stamp, aging missionaries to Brazil. Before he passed away, he, he was able to finish these notes. In the beginning of Revelation, the Full Life Study Bible, it's nicknamed the Fire Bible. It's been done in a lot of different translations. It has the best chart on end times that I've ever seen. So I want to encourage you to take it in. What does this have to do with a wedding? I'm indebted to Dr. Reginald Showers, who passed away in 2019 for much of this information. He was author and uh, teacher at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Guys, I want to warn you, especially if you're new believers, it may be a little hard to swallow that you are called the bride of Christ. I'm a guy! But the Bible calls us many things, the body, the household, the priesthood. But it calls anybody who's come to believe, single or married, young or old, male or female, collectively, we are the bride of Christ. You need to understand that. So as believers today, you need to know that you're a part of the most fascinating love story ever conceived in the heart of God, way beyond that globe over there. And right now, you're a part of that wedding process that'll culminate in one of the most amazing reception celebration that is out of this world, because it's literally out of this world.
All right, there are seven stages so that you guys that are really concerned about the time can count down. Number one, you are a part of an arranged marriage. Ah! Arranged marriages in the, in the Eastern is very common. But for us Westerners, it's almost, and please don't be offended, repulsive. The fact that my mom and dad would choose a woman that maybe I don't even know and arrange me to get, marry her and, um, and live the rest of my life learning to love her is, ah! But you know what Ephesians 1 says? It says that the Father selected you, Jesus saved you, and the Holy Spirit sealed you. The word it uses is God chose us. I'm making Calvinists all around the world very happy right now. Right? And I'm not going to get into the predestination argument. All to say that he did choose us. And if we're honest with ourselves, even as an unbeliever, God was steering my steps. I'll give you a quick example. I'm a junior in high school, and uh, I've come, finally realized what I want to do. I want to be an industrial arts teacher. I go to Keene State um, in um, Keene, New Hampshire, um, to just check it out. And I come back and I proudly exclaim to my shop teacher, I'm going to Keene State when I graduate from high school. He says, no, you're not. You're going to Oswego State because it's a better school. I'm going to bring you down there and that's it. Now, aside from making me a halfway decent industrial arts instructor, two amazing things happened to me while I was on campus in Oswego. You see, God was ordering my steps. I met the Lord in 76 and I met my future wife who I've been married to for 45 years this summer. Yeah. Now, why did I marry her? Very much the same reason that God marries us, because he loves us and because he wants to be with us. I, I love Denise, and I wanted to be with her. And I still love her to this day, and I want to be with her 99% of the times. Hey, you always got to make room for improvement. We're not done yet, right? We're still in process. I mean, she might say, on the other hand, that she's 95% there concerning me. If you can comprehend that you are a part of an arranged marriage, you know that you're heading to the wedding. Secondly, the thing that would take place is making of a covenant, making of a marriage covenant. In the Bible times, a young man would initiate the process to, to receive his wife by leaving his father's house and going to the house of the future bride's um, home um, to cut a marriage, I mean to cut a covenant or to make a, a covenant. The word covenant means to cut because a sacrifice was involved in making a covenant. Picture a lamb being cut in half and separated in two, and the groom declaring his covenantal love for his future bride walking in between. That would be pretty powerful. Um, and not only that, but when that was done, the, um, the future bride and the future groom, as a symbol of the covenantal relationship that was just established, would receive the cup of wine on which a betrothal blessing, blessing had been spoken. Much more was involved in this, the paying of a dowry. We just don't have the time this morning. But you can see that in the same way, Jesus left his father's house. Philippians says he humbled himself and became a man and went to his future bride's house called Earth, 
to make a covenant, to cut a covenant with us. That took place at the cross. It was the most costliest of all covenant because he himself, the groom, would become the lamb broken for us. It was costly in the sense that though he was dying for all, it didn't promise that all would come to him. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant. All other covenants are past. The new one has come. The third stage or the third step was the step of betrothal. When the bride's family agreed to the proposal and accepted the dowry price, she was considered betrothed or pledged. The closest we come to is engagement, but we can't even compare the two. This is the condition that Mary found herself in as a virgin, pregnant with Jesus, betrothed. Matthew says her husband Joseph wanted to divorce her quietly, not to shame her. They were considered married. They just hadn't consummated the marriage. In order to break the betrothal, you had to get a divorce. Engagement in the Western side, you basically call it off and that's it. You don't have to go through a formal divorce. Betrothed means to be bought, paid for, ransomed, chosen, set apart, taken, sanctified exclusively for that man. Now, it doesn't take much imagination (laughs) to transfer what I've just been talking about. In accepting the costly covenant that was done at the cross, at the day of our salvation, when we accepted that covenant by our groom, we were betrothed. And in fact, today, all of us who believe are in a betrothal state. This is where, this is where we are right here, right? Between the cross and the rapture. What does that mean? It means we've been bought. We've been paid for. We've been sanctified exclusively for one, Jesus Christ. It's interesting. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. You can be guilty of adultery when you're betrothed, when your eyes start focusing on someone or something other than Christ. You can be guilty of adultery when you flirt with the world and its sin, even in a betrothal state. The fourth step, boy, we're moving right along here. The groom would return to his father's house. Having done his due diligence, the young man would return to his father's house and start building. How would he do that? Well, he looks at this father's house and it's a wall standing there. So a quarter of his house is already done. Either that or he's building on the wall of his older brother who got married previously that it got attached to the father's house. Archaeological finds have actually found houses like this. And sometimes they would create a courtyard. Houses on the outside and a center courtyard. So going, leaving your father's house could be as close as going next doors. 
And this was a time of separation, really not a time of dating. It's probably unusual. See, Joseph was spending time with Mary at the time, but normally that wouldn't be happening. They wouldn't be dating in the sense that we do towards engagement, right? There would be a time of separation. In a sense, we are separated from Christ, at least physically. Surely, you remember what Jesus said to his disciples who were all downtrodden when he talked about leaving. This was his word, John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. <laughs> if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way, the place where I am going. God wants to be with us. So as the Lord's bride this morning, knowing that the groom has prepared a special room for you, are you excited that you're heading to the wedding? <laughs> the fifth stage. would be the groom returning for his bride. Now, unlike Western, the way we do here in the West, where a boy meets girl and girl meets boy, and they start dating and they get serious, they get engaged, and then maybe even as much of a year ahead, they pick out a venue and a date, and everybody knows it. There's a save-a-date thing on the calendar. The Jewish bride did not know when her wedding day was going to take place. Now, ladies, picture that. That would be horrible. I mean, are you serious? I look at what takes place at weddings and the preparation that's required, man. What a trip. When her special day was going to be there was within probably a year, but not always. Typically, it would, um, it would take place at night. with a torchlight procession, with the attendants and male escorts. Remember the five foolish virgins that weren't prepared with enough oil for their lamps? This is that moment, right? The groom was going to go sweep his bride off of her feet, and they weren't ready. They didn't have enough flashlight battery power to get back. And they were not allowed into that wedding because they weren't prepared. <clears throat> That's Matthew 25. Because there wasn't forewarning for the bride, there was a lot of fanfare, a lot of noise-making, shouting, trumpet-sounding, right? So she probably, and I wouldn't doubt that some people were running ahead of the groom and his escorts to warn the bride, he's coming, he's coming, right? Together, all the female attendants, along with the guests, would join the men, and go back to the father's house where they would meet guests that were properly attired because dress was very important. We know in scripture you had to be properly dressed in order to go to the wedding. They would have been people that had heard about this and instead of going with the groom, they headed in the other direction to wait for them to come through. Are you ready for the rapture? Now, see, some people believe the rapture is going to take place here. That's called pre-trip. Some people believe the rapture is going to be here. That's called mid-trip. 
Some people believe the rapture is going to be here. And I'm telling them, they're using the same Bible and they've got scriptures just like I've got scripture. Right? Some people, they're a fourth group. So pre, mid, post, and pan-trib. Pan-trib is for people who say it's all going to pan out. <laughs> and we know it's going to pan out. I say be ready for anything. <laughs> Are you ready for the rapture? That's the next, in my mind, major event that's going to take place that we've been told from the scriptures. How many parables speak of the master leaving and coming back and checking out whether his, faithful, his servants were faithful? Boy, it all you know, comes into play. 1 John 3 says, Everyone who has this hope, the hope of his coming, purifies himself just as he is pure. Revelation 19, 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And you know this scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, <clears throat> will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. They go first. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the church, uh, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Are you getting ready by removing all the spots and wrinkles from that garment? Because you want to be proud when that groom comes through and sweeps us off of our feet into the heavenlies. We are heading to the wedding for sure now. And I want to take a quick break here. Why do I believe in pre-tribulation, that we're going to be raptured before it? Luke chapter 21, verse 36, and I'm just going to take excerpts from these scriptures. Watch and pray, the Bible says, that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 and 9, which is about the coming of the Lord. In fact, every chapter in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, except the last one in 2 Thessalonians, is about the coming of the Lord Jesus. That scripture says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. He did not appoint us to suffer tribulation. 2 Peter 2.9 speaks of Lot, who was not perfect, but he was a righteous man, and he was tormented by what he saw. Lot was removed from Sodom and Gomorrah before the fire and brimstone fell. And Peter is using that as an example for us concerning the tribulation. He says, um, the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. And lastly, Revelation 3.10, Jesus promises, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the world. Are you ready for stage six? We're coming down to the, we're coming in for a landing. This is called the consummation. Upon arriving to the father's house, the groom and bride... The bride was still veiled. Ask Jacob if he wished it hadn't been so. Man, Label pulled a fast one on him. He ended up marrying Leah when he wanted Rachel. And he didn't know the difference because she definitely was covered. They would come and a special bridal chamber had been prepared for them where they would enter into a physical union for the very first time. 
Now, this gets a little funky, and, you know, it's weird to think that this would happen. But from what I've read, this is what would happen. After they had united physically, the groom would call out to the groomsman and let him know the marriage had been consummated. The groomsmen would then go to the wedding party and go, It's happened! Let's party! And they wouldn't party just for a day. They would party for seven days. Keep that in mind. When John the Baptist's disciples were upset that people were leaving, Hey, we're losing disciples. They're going to Jesus. What did John the Baptist say? But he said, um, i got to find it here. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend, John the Baptist, who attends the bridegroom, Jesus, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears his voice, <laughs> the bridegroom voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. John the Baptist was talking about this very thing, this wonderful wedding that we're in the middle of. So you've probably already guessed it, that we'll experience a spiritual union face-to-face with Jesus. No more looking through a glass darkly, right? Whew! In the Father's house, in his heavenly bridal chamber, consummating our relationship that had been made at the cross, that was accepted at our salvation, we will be forever with the Lord Jesus at the night he was betrayed, said, This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That's what he was talking about. We usually, well, I'm not even going to go into the four cups of communion, but the last one is called, I believe, the cup of consummation. That's the cup that the Lord will once again drink of at the marriage supper of the Lamb. By the way, this seven-year period, tribulation, but up above here you can write marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to party for seven years, not just for seven days. Woo! When the Toronto Vineyard was happening, one of the songs that were popularized was We Will Dance on the Streets That Are Golden, The Glorious Bride and the Great Son of Man. Every tongue and tribe and nation will join in the song of the Lamb. As the musicians come forward, the last step, the last stage, the unveiling of the bride, just as the groom would bring out his bride out of the bridal chamber unveiled, so all to see, so the Lord will on that day when he comes and returns back to earth, he will unveil the true church. It takes place at the end of the seven-year tribulation in full view of all who are alive to see who the true church is. Colossians 3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, who is your life, then you also will appear with him in glory. If you fast forward from that point over to the new heavens and the new earth, this is how John received it. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, 
beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he who lives with them, he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Whew. Yeah, yeah. That part is over. The new Jerusalem has come down. Now, I've been speaking to the church, and just for a moment, I want to speak to the unchurch. For those of you that have not yet decided to follow Christ, you remember our text to begin with. They're crying out. The bride and the spirit cry out, whoever's thirsty, come. Whoever hears, come. In other words, we want as many people to come to this wedding party as possible. Jesus, on one occasion, or more than one occasion, spoke a parable about how the people that were supposed to be invited had excuses for not coming to the wedding. Hey, I just bought a field. I just bought an oxen. I just got married. I can't go to a wedding. Money, sex, and power, they'll keep you away every time. Be careful of the gold, the girls, and the glory. Or for the girls, the gold, the guys, and the glory. The master was so upset, he said, go out to the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Get people off the street in here. The Lord's calling on you. And every time you hear the gospel, it's as though Jesus is saying this to you. I, Jesus, take you sinner to be my bride. You say, I'm so ugly. I'm so unprepared. I'm a sinner. You have no idea. Listen to what Jesus is saying. I take you as my bride. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful Savior and bridegroom. In sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and sorrow, in faithfulness and waywardness, for time and eternity, I want to be yours. Now would you stand, church? Church, I want you to repeat after me. This is going to be for you a renewal of vows. But for those of you that have never accepted Jesus Christ and you're doing it for the first time, this is your wedding vow. This is how you're going to become born again, by committing your life, asking the Lord to forgive your sins. Can you repeat after me? I, sinner, take you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord. I promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful bride in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow for time and eternity. One last scripture. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to the one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid lest the serpent has deceived Eve, uh, as the serpent deceived Eve by, Eve by his craftiness, 
your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He was talking about those that were in an adulterous state, believers that were not really following the Lord. And again, if if that's your situation, don't be ashamed. The Bible says, confess your sins to God and be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another and be healed. We're going to, people that, we're going to have prayer partners up here that are actually coming up now. They'll be here for you. If you're not focused on Christ as a believer, if, if you're flirting with the world or with sin, Paul, Jesus would beg you, <laughs> Go back to the devotion, the purity, the focus on Jesus. Let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this beautiful bride that you've covenanted for and prepared for yourself. May she be filled with expectation, your expectation of your imminent return. May she continue to purify herself. May she keep herself solely for you and your purposes. May she never tire of inviting friends into salvation and to come and join in this incredible wedding that will take place at the end of time. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our vision is that you would experience Victory Church as a place to call home. We do this by encountering God through worship, embracing community through relationship, and expanding the kingdom of God through service. Find out more about Victory at victorywinchester.com.